0: Hey, Scott here with Grace Bible Church. Before we get into this message, I just wanted to thank you for streaming this sermon. We pray that each week you are challenged by who God is and what he has done for you. Now, this is never meant to be a substitute for you to be an active member of a community of faith. If you live in the Holidaysburg area or if you're in town for any reason, we encourage you to gather with us on Sunday mornings for our word and worship. You can learn more about what God is doing through our church body on our website, gbclive.org. We are in Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says, the first and the last, who is dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death, and to the Um, but be hurt by the second death father we come today and we lift up those families that are hurting that are grieving lord we know you are the god of all comfort and you comfort us in all of our tribulation we are so thankful that the god of the universe uh, the one true god and his son the lord jesus christ lord we so thank you that uh, we know you as our savior i pray that's true for every person here in this room that they have that personal knowledge that Jesus Christ the Savior and Lord of their life. Lord, also, I thank you for your Holy Spirit, how you comfort us and how you minister to us. Thank you for the word of God where we can have the truth in every generation. We can see the mind of God. And so, Lord, bless us today as we look into your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, we've been looking at the seven churches in Asia Minor. When it says Asia, don't think of Asia as today. Uh, This was the Roman province of Asia. And there were seven particular churches that the Lord Jesus Christ sent these seven letters to. And so we looked at the church of Ephesus, and now we are considering the church of Smyrna. And the church of Smyrna represents the persecuted church, the suffering church. You know, as Christians living in America, it's often difficult for us to relate to being persecuted for our faith let alone being martyred for our faith, being killed just because we named the name of Jesus Christ. But the persecution and killing of Christians is a very true reality in many countries of the world. Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Sudan, Yemen, North Korea, Iran, India, and China are just a few of those countries. It's estimated there are 80 million Christians that live in China, and the Christians in China are today the largest single persecuted community of believers. The majority of today's martyrs are nameless people. I mean, they're not in the headlines. Um, Their names are not splashed across the sky. Uh, They are pretty much unknown individuals, but the Lord knows them. And one day when we go to heaven, if you know Christ is your Savior, we are going to see these faithful believers get many rewards from their Savior. They have a selfless dedication to the Great Commission, which actually costs many of them their lives. Today in the 21st century we're living in a time when persecution against Christians is the highest in modern history. So the message of Jesus to the church of Smyrna is a very contemporary message. Sometimes I'm asked as a pastor, do you believe that persecution will come to America? And my response is no, because it's already here. It's already here. So far, it's not the persecution that we see in these countries that I've named and others that's costing people their lives. But there is a persecution that's going on. As an example of in the West, in December of 2020, Canada approved a conversion therapy ban that condemns Christian doctrine on the sinfulness of homosexuality and transgenderism as a myth. Indeed, Bill C-4 passed unanimously by both the Senate and the House of Commons in Canada. It threatens pastors with up to five years of prison time if they remain faithful to the gospel and preach the truth of God's word concerning homosexuality, transgender, and all this madness that's going on. One pastor in Canada, Pastor Tim Stevens of Fairview Baptist Church explained, the ideologies of queer theory, progressive gender ideology, and critical theory have taken over education, corporations, entertainment, and the media. Politics is simply the face of the heart of a nation The United States is lagging Canada, but the ideas are there and will bear fruit unless the roots are pulled up. Christians must realize that we are in a spiritual battle where we are called to destroy strongholds, these opinions and philosophies that are raised against the knowledge of God. And Stevens continue warning that the United States Constitution will sooner or later prove ineffective to stop the advance of these godless ideologies. Ron Dreyer in his book, Live Not By Lies, says a progressive, profoundly anti-Christian militancy is steadily taking over society. We are witnessing the onslaught of a soft totalitarianism. We need to remember that we live in a culture ruled by Satan. We also remember, need to remember that we are in the hand of God. A while back, I preached a message on the uh, great Awakening. And I talked about how equity, equality, inclusion are words you're gonna hear a lot. And if you've been paying attention, you hear a lot about those words. But in typical Marxist fashion, they change the meaning of the words so they don't mean what they used to mean. Do you realize that many corporations now have a chief executive officer who is the equity, equality, inclusion officer who is there to make sure that the corporation does not step out of line with what's happening in culture. So though our persecution so far is not what these countries experience, yet persecution has already come to our shores, and how much more it will take over our society, time will tell. So here's a church in the first century, Smyrna, living in this Roman city, and we can only imagine what the church thought when they get a letter from the great apostle John. I believe it was probably with great anticipation as the pastor unrolled the scroll and began to read this letter from John the apostle. Remember, all seven letters were read to all seven churches. So they would have heard John's uh, word to the church at Ephesus, but their ears must have really perked up when they heard the words to the angel of the church in Smyrna, Right. Now, history tells us that Smyrna was a stunningly beautiful city. It was called the glory of Asia. Smyrna was a seaport city, so it became extremely wealthy. Today, the modern city of Izmir, a population of over 3 million, surrounds the ancient ruins. So, if you look at the ruins of Ephesus and some of these other churches, they're more extensive than the ruins that you see there in Smyrna. The city had been destroyed, but then Alexander the Great came through and he rebuilt the city. And so the inhabitants spoke of Smyrna as being the city that was once dead, but has now been resurrected. Smyrna held the exclusive rights to the import and export of myrrh. Myrrh comes from a thorny plant that when it is crushed, it leaves off a pleasing aroma. It was used as perfume, used many times, referred to many times in the Song of Solomon. His lips are lilies dripping liquid myrrh. Myrrh was one of the gifts brought to the baby Jesus by the wise men. Jesus on the cross received a sponge with wine mingled with myrrh, but he refused it. Myrrh was used in the preparation for the body of the Lord Jesus Christ in his burial. So the church of Smyrna having these exclusive rights among other things became a very rich city. You don't find the church of Smyrna in the book of Acts. It's found nowhere else in the epistles, only here in the book of Revelation. Though we believe it was probably related to Paul's ministry in Ephesus where we saw in Acts 19, so all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So the gospel went out from Ephesus to this city of Smyrna most likely that's what occurred and a church was begun there in Smyrna so this congregation we don't know if it was a small congregation or how many Christians there were but these were Christians who were in their culture but who were not of their culture now all of these letters begin with a basic and have a basic pattern to them and they all begin with a part of the vision of Jesus that we saw back in Revelation chapter one. And there's two key aspects to this vision that would have particularly encouraged these Christians in Smyrna who were suffering. The first one is the deity of Jesus Christ. When we say deity, we mean that Jesus Christ is God, a very God, 100% God, co-equal with God the Father. God is a trinity. We don't understand that, but it is clearly stated in Scripture. So verse 8 says, these things says the first and the last. You say, why is that a reference to his deity? Well, God applied this title to himself in the book of Isaiah. And remember, though John is the human author of these letters, Jesus Christ is the one who is writing these letters to these churches. In the book of Isaiah, God applied this title to himself. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And we just sang about that this morning. There is none like you. And I appreciate Michael because our our, our songs aren't just for uh, spiritual entertainment. We are communicating something. We are worshiping the Lord. We are praising him for his attributes. Jesus is revealed as taking on this title himself. He is the eternal one. He is the one who transcends time and space. Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things, and in him all things consist, meaning all things hold together. Jesus is the eternal I am, John 8.58. When the Caesars all turned to dust, and they did, Jesus Christ is still on his throne. Jesus Christ is the eternal one. And he is still ruling the world. That would have been a great encouragement to them, as I hope it is to you. The second part of the vision that would be an encouragement is the humanity of Jesus. Not only is Jesus God, but Jesus is man. He is the God-man. Verse 8, who was dead and came to life. So if Jesus is the eternal one who transcends space and time, how could the eternal one die? John MacArthur calls this the paradox of all paradoxes. Well, we know the answer because Jesus took on a true humanity, was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life that we could not live. He died on the cross for our sins, not his sins. He had no sin. He is our substitute. He was buried, showing he truly died, but then he rose again from the dead on the third day, conquering Satan and death. John Walvoord says, his is not only the eternal one in relation to time, but the resurrected one in relation to life. Now think about how this would be an encouragement to these believers, because the threat of death for their faith hung over them every moment of their lives. Like the ancient sword of Damocles, there was this threat of death. Imagine living in a community like that, where you don't know when the soldiers might come to your door, drag you and your family away, throw you into prison, and even possibly take your life. So this would have been a real encouragement to these believers. Verse 9, we see this in all the letters. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. We said when we looked at the church at Ephesus, it is very comforting for us to know that our savior is fully aware of every situation in our life. Whether we're grieving or we're hurting or we're suffering or we're being persecuted for our faith, Jesus Christ is fully aware of what's happening. So here's this church in Smyrna and they lived under the constant threat of persecution. Constant threat. The word tribulation here is a word that means pressure and it was often used when referring to an ancient uh, practice of execution, the Romans would use at times. Um, They would take an individual and lay them on their back and then they would take great heavy stones and begin to pound them on their chest until they couldn't breathe and they would be officiated and they would die. We saw last Sunday that the persecution of Christians, or a couple Sundays ago, that the persecution of Christians under Emperor Domitian broke out all over the Empire but there was something about Smyrna that the persecution here was more intense and it lasted longer. One reason may be that Smyrna was an important center of Roman Imperial of the Roman Imperial cult what that meant was the religion of worshiping Caesar and so every citizen of Smyrna was required to take some incense burn it on an altar and declare that Caesar is Lord. Well, the Christians wouldn't do that. They said, no, Jesus Christ is Lord. The Romans said, well, you can worship your Jesus, but you have to first acknowledge that Caesar is Lord. And if you don't do that, we can take your life. But the Christians would not do that. They said, we can't do that because Jesus Christ is Lord of all. History records there were mass executions of Christians in Smyrna. So it brings up the question is why does God allow persecution and suffering and martyrdom in his church? And if you read the book of Acts, it's been this way ever since the beginning of the church. And though we are so far pretty much insulated from that kind of persecution though we don't know for how much longer why does God allow these Christians and these nations I've named and many others to literally have to give their life because they are Christians now one answer to that question is this the church of Smyrna receives no rebuke from Jesus every church receives a rebuke from the Lord Jesus, except the church of Smyrna. He gives them an admonition, but he doesn't give them a rebuke. Suffering has a purifying effect upon a Christian and upon a church. 1 Peter 5.10, but may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Most of us here have not suffered persecution, though some of you maybe are coming from a family of unbelievers, and you might have suffered some persecution for your faith. Most of us, it's maybe being made fun of or things like that, but we have gone through different difficulties, you know, different tribulations in our life, and if you are a believer, then you know that you and I grow more through tribulation than we do through God's blessing, that we're thankful for his blessing. Well, here's a church, here's a group of believers who are going through intense persecution. And it had a purifying effect upon the members of the church. Paul, who suffered greatly for his faith, wrote, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4.17 Now, one of the principles of Bible study is look for comparison and contrast. So Paul uses a comparison. He calls our affliction light. He says what awaits us in glory is exceeding an eternal weight of glory. Whatever we go through in this life can't even compare to the glory that will be revealed in us one day in Jesus Christ. So Smyrna was a church purified in the fires of persecution and in the fires of martyrdom. Most of us here in this church could not hold a candle couldn't walk in the shadow of these Christians who were so faithful, who would not relent, who would not deny their Savior, even in the threat of torture and imprisonment and even death. Not only did they struggle with tribulation, persecution, the Christians in Smyrna lived under the daily struggle of poverty. Now there are two words in the Greek language that could be used here for poverty, two primary words. One word means you're poor. You don't have some of the things that you'd like to have. That's not that word. This is the word for abject poverty. This is the word for destitution. These Christians lived in abject poverty. And we believe it was because of their faith. It seems probable that being a Christian allowed people in Rome, in the city of Smyrna, to plunder and pillage the Christians' homes and to take whatever they wanted. The writer of Hebrews, who wrote decades earlier, speaks about Christians who joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods knowing that you have have a better and an enduring possession for yourself in heaven, Hebrews 10, 34. However, notice the paradox. Jesus says, I know, you know, you're poor, you're abject poor, you're destitute, but you are rich, but you are rich. What a paradox. You know, there are people in this world who amass riches, and they would say that they are wealthy and they are rich, And God looks at them and says, you are spiritually destitute. You are experiencing spiritual abject poverty. And yet these believers who were suffering for their faith, the Lord looks at them and says, you are rich. You do realize that um, when the day comes and we step into eternity, we're not taking any stuff with us. All our stuff is staying here. I've told you before, somebody else is gonna live in your home. Unless they pack the jewelry in your casket, somebody else is gonna be wearing your jewelry. Somebody else is gonna be enjoying some of the material things that you enjoy. There's nothing wrong with having material things, but if that's the focus of our life, then we are truly poor. Smyrna, on the other hand, was one of the wealthiest cities in the Roman Empire. Another paradox. So these Christians are living in one of the most beautiful, wealthy cities in the Roman Empire, and all they had to do to you know, experience and take advantage of all that Smyrna had to offer, take a little pinch of incense, put it on an altar, and declare Caesar is God. And, as far as Rome is concerned, you can go on and worship your Jesus. We're not going to bother you. But you have to declare Caesar is God and give some token of worship to him. But they wouldn't do that. They couldn't do that because they knew the true God, the one true God. And they know that Jesus Christ is Lord, not Caesar. And so Paul had written earlier of Christians as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. So imagine persecution comes to America. Unbelievers are allowed to pillage your home, take all your possessions, pretty much take anything they want, steal your food. You can't work because you're a Christian and nobody wants to buy anything from a Christian and you are ostracized from work and in in Rome that meant the trade guilds you couldn't participate and so you are poor you are hungry you're being persecuted but it even gets worse than that verse 9 I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not but are a synagogue of satan I remind you, this is Jesus who's saying this. The Christians in Smyrna lived under slanderous oppression, particularly from the Jewish community. Now, all we have to do is go back to the book of Acts and see how the Jews in the first century persecuted the Christians. They thought they were blasphemers, saying that this Jesus was God and he was the Messiah of Israel. Now, these Jews were physically descended from Abraham, but they were spiritually not Abraham's children. Paul refers to that in Romans 9. They are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. He's saying just because they were descended physically, nationally from Abraham, they were really not the children of Abraham because they didn't have the faith of Abraham. And so these were Jews in name only Well, they accused Christians of many things. One of the things they accused Christians was of cannibalism. Because in the Lord's Supper, remember in John 6, Jesus talked about eating my flesh and drinking my blood, which was symbolic. They didn't actually, you know, eat flesh and drink blood, though the Catholic Church says these elements are turned into the body and and the blood of Christ, which is not true. They're just symbolic in communion. So these unbelievers who didn't understand spiritual truth were saying, oh, they're cannibals. And then they they knew that Christians had what was called love feasts. Well, in their mind, because of their pagan feasts and what they did in their pagan feasts, all kind of debauchery and immorality and fornication, they accused the Christians of that, which is kind of funny because the Romans were doing the very same thing all the time in their temples. And so they used all this to slander the believers. They said they were atheists because they did not believe and worship the Roman gods. Now, most likely, there was a synagogue of Jews in Smyrna because history says there was a, quite a population of Jews there. And you'll notice what Jesus calls this synagogue, a synagogue of Satan. Wow, that's pretty strong language well if you remember when jesus was here and was confronted by the the rulers of israel the spiritual leaders of israel at least they were supposed to be jesus said to these jewish leaders you are of your father the devil in john 8 44. do you realize false religion is most often the source for persecuting christians um Where there are Muslim countries, Christians are persecuted almost exclusively in those countries. Here you have people who claim to worship the true God who were leading the slander and leading the attack upon these believers and Jesus calls them a synagogue of Satan. You know, we see all that's happening here in our culture today, all the the insanity, all the madness. In Rome, the... uh, the wealthy men would have these young boys that they would abuse and they would mutilate them so they would keep having the characteristics of, of young men, keep them from maturing. What do we see happening in our country? The mutilation of children change, trying to change their gender, saying that you know boys really are girls and girls really are boys and men are women and women are men. Let me make it easy for you. If you have a womb, you're a woman, okay? That's pretty simple. You don't have a womb, you're not a woman. You can call yourself a woman, but you're not a woman. Men don't have babies. Wow, I learned that early in biology. Not according to our culture. So welcome to Rome in the 21st century. The mutilation of children for all this insanity that it, that is happening and please understand this is a religion for these people all this equity equality inclusion all this stuff it's a form of religion for them and that's why they fight against us and they say if I preach a sermon like this that's hate speech no that's truth they don't want to hear truth well Jesus had no rebuke for these Christians but he did have an admonition for them Look at verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Now, wait a minute. Maybe maybe I'm thinking wrong here. He doesn't promise them immediate relief. He could have. He could have said I'm gonna send some of my angels down there or I'm going to you know pick out some of these people and strike them dead and put some fear of God he doesn't do that he does not promise them relief on the contrary he tells them further trials are coming you know stop being afraid literally is what he says stop being afraid of the things which you are about to experience More persecution, he tells them, is coming. Maybe the letter to the church of Smyrna is very appropriate for our church today. And notice, this is not a letter of condolence. See, condolence means that just like we have had over these last few Saturdays and we've seen people in our church and now with dear John and Sandy and the precious little child, We offer our condolences, our sympathy. We are so sorry that this loss has occurred. That's not, this is not just a letter. It's not a letter of condolence, it's a letter of exhortation. Jesus is saying, stop being afraid. You're going to experience even more persecution. Why? Well, we talked about why does God allow persecution? Because it purifies the church and the Christian that you may be tested, that you may be tested. 1 Peter chapter 1, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. True saving faith is strengthened when Even though the Romans and even though the Jews were persecuting them, and Jesus called it the synagogue of Satan. Can I say to you that there are churches that are marrying homosexuals? There are churches who are going along with the culture and all of this gender dysphoria, gender, you know, craziness. I would suggest to you they are churches of Satan. You say, well, that's not very kind. No, it's true. That's what Jesus says about the synagogue. What would he say about these churches that will not take a stand for Christ, who will go along to get along? Satan is the adversary. Satan, not the Jews or the Romans, was their real adversary. He says, you're going to be, Satan's going to come along. The devil's going to cast you into prison. What do you think their prisons were like? I think their prisons were dark and dank and rat-infested, dingy, filthy, separated from their families. All they had to do, take a pinch of incense, put on the altar and say, Caesar's God, and you can go back to your family. What would I do? What would you do? The devil cannot destroy our faith, so he tempts us to damage our testimony. And he continually opposes believers today. First Peter five, uh, Peter calls him a, our adversary. But he's not bound, the idea of binding the devil is, is foolishness, that's not in scripture. The devil will be bound one day, but God will bind him. The Bible presents him as walking around like a roaring lion. He's our adversary, the devil. The word adversary was used in the Greek language of an opponent in a lawsuit. So that word devil was used in classical Greek for those who would bring a false charge or slander someone else, that's Satan. He's called the accuser of our brother and who accused them before our God day and night, Revelation 12, 10. I don't know what the 10 days are. Um, there's a lot of debate on that, there's some things in Scripture that God does not choose to explain to us. It could refer to a short period of time. It could be 10 literal days. We really don't know for sure. It could mean that the persecution eventually will come to an end. But notice again, compared to eternity, whatever the time of persecution they endured would be a short time. Another reason why I think there was so much persecution in Smyrna because not only Caesar was deified, but Rome itself was deified. The god Roma was a female deity. She personified the city of Rome and the empire, and there was a temple to Roma in the city of Smyrna. Could be why the persecution was so intense. There's all the citizens and all the wealth and all the beauty of the city. And they're going to the temple of Rome and all these other pagan temples. And they're declaring that Caesar is God. And you've got this probably small group of these, you know, poor Christians who were totally looked down on on the lowest scale of the culture. And think about living for Christ in that kind of a scenario? Well, Jesus gave two promises to the believers in Smyrna. Number one, he says in verse 10, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. History says that many, many Christians were martyred in Smyrna. And so Jesus says to them, Be faithful unto death. He promises them eternal life. This is the Stephanus or the victor's crown. In James 1.12, in the English Standard Version, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. There were many temples on Mount Pegas, which was a mountain behind the city of Smyrna, and they say back then that it gave the appearance of a crown. And we know that a laurel crown was given to victors of the games, but those crowns eventually faded. But the crown of life will never fade. It's the crown of eternal life. And though they may take our physical life, we have the gift and the promise of eternal life. Now we're going to see this in every letter, verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. That's the second promise. He again gives an admonition to listen, to pay attention. Remember, every letter was sent to every church, so seven times they're going to hear the same admonition. Listen up. Pay attention. This means you. But he promises them this wonderful Promise of not being hurt by the second death. Again, the one who overcomes is the true believer. You saw that a couple weeks ago. You see, nominal Christians will not endure persecution. If persecution becomes more intense at Grace Bible Church, you're going to see people who will not be here anymore. They will not be here. Because a nominal Christian cannot stand persecution because for the true christian persecution will strengthen our faith will confirm us in our faith no matter how intense it is so what is the second death the second death is eternal death Robert Murray McShane says it shall be eternal dying but never dead when you wish to die but are not able can you imagine eternity in the lake of fire never you know some people say well it's just it's it's just extermination you know you just it's annihilation so you might as well live it up here now maybe you're not going to go to heaven or have eternal life but you will just be annihilated no the bible never teaches that you and i have eternal souls eternal souls and they will dwell in one of two places eternally either in the lake of fire or either in the presence of jesus about 50 years after this letter, there was a man named Polycarp. Polycarp became the pastor or bishop of the church of Smyrna. And at this point in his life, he was a very old man. And the Romans condemned him for preaching that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the, the Roman soldier that came to get Polycarp and take him to his place of execution kept pleading with him Look, all you have to do is say, Caesar is God. And I can let you go. You know, don't do this. Why, why die this horrible death? He was to be burned. But Polycarp famously said to him, 80 and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? So Polycarp was burned at the stake and pierced with, <coughs> pierced with a sword. <coughs> you see, true saving faith is indestructible. It's indestructible even in the face of persecution even in the face of the threat of death true saving faith is indestructible persecution it strengthens the faith of the true Christian and so Jesus says stop being afraid so even if they take your life you're gonna come and join me you're gonna be in my presence I promise you eternal life eternal life We've had these um, four funerals in the last five weeks, but thankfully every one of those was declared a Christian. Every one of those gave testimony that they were a born again believer. What a great hope. What (laughs) What must they be experiencing? And so persecution may come, and I'm not saying to be glib about it, but God will give us grace as he gave these people grace as he's giving people in countries where they are giving their life for their faith, he gives them grace, and true faith is indestructible. It will never become.